A uh, quick announcement about this coming Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday is our fall day of prayer. Um, yeah. Uh, Rock City Sunrise Service at 7 a.m. Uh, chapel is going to be open uh, all day from 10 to 5 o'clock. Um, we have it kind of set out, broken out into different times. Um, faculty and staff are coming in from 10 to 11. Um, Mac will be here from 11 a.m. to 12. Andreas and student departments uh, from 12 to 1. Faculty and staff back in here 1 to 2. Founders 2 to 3. Carter 3 to 4. And 4 to 5 is a time. If anybody would like to come to the chapel to be prayed for specifically, uh, please come from 4 to 5 p.m. Uh, in the evening, we're going to have a worship night starting at 8 o'clock. Uh, it's going to be led by a husband and wife duo called Drakeford. Um, they've opened for Grey Havens, and they're, they're local. Super awesome. Uh, so please come and worship. Uh, passion, grit, and irreverence for the status quo. This unorthodox trio marks James Harrington's style, strategy, and tactics for mobilizing you to take on the impossible problems around you and transform your world. James is the founder of the Ugandan Water Project, where he and his team leverage innovation and disruption to battle the water crisis in Uganda. The same toolbox of experience that has brought success in that arena is now being brought to bear on collaborative partnerships with organizations and companies here at home. We'd normally say give a warm Scots welcome for James Harrington, but we're going to watch a video. So give a warm Scots welcome for this video. still rubs his shoulder when he talks about carrying the heavy clay pot 15 miles to the river as a boy. Now, he watches his granddaughter fetch water each day, and he is haunted by two questions. Will this be the last generation of children walking for water? And who will help to make it so?
partnership with the Ugandan Water Project can ensure that this is the last generation of children that walk for water. solutions are effective, efficient, and sustainable. The need is real. We are ready. All we need is you. Good morning, Covenant College. It is great to be with you. I have two things to do today, and there's one thing I care about. The two things I want to share about the Ugandan Water Project, and I want to share a connection that I feel is on my heart for your campus. But the one thing I care about is calling forth in you what God has called you to do and be in this world and to help inspire you to dream and to have a new understanding of your capacity to fulfill the purpose for which you were created. So let's start. The Ugandan Water Project, I didn't know anything really about the water crisis except what I saw in entertainment tonight until I crashed a barbecue about 10 years ago. And I met a man from Uganda who is there. He's a teacher, he's a pastor. And we get talking about Uganda, and, and I'm just captivated by his passion for his country. And, and uh, here's a guy with a, a great education. He's got a master's degree. He speaks three or four languages, great sense of humor. And yet, I'm asking him about what does life look like in his home and for his kids and their daily life and how different that is from the context for me and my family. And then also, what are the challenges he faces as a pastor and as a teacher? And it's arresting to hear him as he's saying, you know, I'm well-trained and well-experienced to inspire the spirit and, and cultivate the mind, and yet I'm looking into eyes of people that are hungry, I mean truly hungry, and they haven't had anything to drink. And I'm hearing this, and I'm going, wow, I think something could be done about that. And the more I'm listening to him, and I'm talking to him, and, you know, and, and he's, he's just sharing the burden that he encounters in his daily life, it starts to very quickly become something could be done about that to really feeling, wow, I think something should be done about that. And that was a catalyst for me that kicked me off into an exploration to understand what is this problem because I really didn't know much. And as I began to explore and just spend some time getting to know him and more importantly digging into what is this water crisis in, in the world and specifically in Uganda look like and really there was, I discovered there's two halves to the problem and, and one half of the problem really has to do with the water quality. And this isn't, you know, rocket science stuff. We look at that and go, yeah, that makes sense. The quality of the water when people are fetching it is often dirty and contaminated and, and makes people sick. And, in fact, uh, this young man, uh, if you'll notice in the background, there's, there's cattle that are getting watered in the background. And, uh, and so the water that's often available in communities, whether it's this dugout pit that just fills with water, and you, what you can't see, oh, the shadows over to his left there, those are tadpoles it's teeming with tadpoles and there's cows there it, like that water is filthy and certainly is not safe to drink what's really arresting is when we run water testing on that it, it's not even safe for children under five to bathe in and so the water quality is one half of the problem the other piece that really uh was just eye-opening to me was understanding it's not just the quality of the water it's also the logistics right it's the time and the distance and the amount of labor that it takes for where water is to where it needs to be. And you see scenes like this along the red dirt roads of Uganda under the equatorial sun that just beats down on you. You see kids, you see women walking for water. You see these guys sweating buckets as they're, they have bicycles loaded down with jerry cans. Each one weighs about 45 pounds when full. 
and it's the time it takes. You know, in fact, do me a favor, everybody put a fist up. You know, just to make it real, like in, a, in an average household, you often see every day, in the early in the morning before the sun comes up, someone in that household has to walk one hour for water. Go ahead, put a finger up, and let's count these hours. The average family every day deals with. And then when they get to a place, just like we saw in that previous picture, you often have to wait in line, because the whole community is getting water, and you have to wait for another hour. And then you have to walk back, only that third hour is a hard one, because now you're loaded down with 45 to 90 pounds of water, depending on if, what you're carrying. And then you get home, and you saw where they're getting water from, it's not ready to drink, what do you have to do? Anyone? Boil it, yeah. But you don't have a stove, so what do you have to do? You have to fetch wood, a lot of wood. And the wood that was easy and nearby, you burned years ago. So it takes another hour to fetch wood. And then you're, you're bringing five to ten gallons of water to boil over an open stick fire, and uh, having to heat that up and boil it long enough to make that safe to drink, and that takes another hour. And you're still not done. Because what do you have? You've got five to ten gallons of boiling hot, smoky water. And it takes another three hours for that to cool. You can put your hands down. And when you think about that, eight hours. Like we equate that to, you know, a work day, a school day, the time we should be sleeping at night. Around the Industrial Revolution, they, used to, they were advocating for eight hours for sleep, eight hours for work, eight hours for what you will. It's our recreation and time to explore passions and fun and family time and for children to play. And so when families have to commit that time, we were, I started to realize, wow, it has to come from those other places. And realizing that, that issues like clean, dirty water, uh, and they, they robbed things like work and capacity and play from families. And it was just eye-opening to me. And yet, alongside understanding the depths of this problem, I realized there are solutions. And so we began to pursue solutions. And our organization, the Ugandan Water Project, uh, we, we do a number of different kinds of projects, but our three primaries that we focus a lot of our effort on uh, are very accessible and very successful, successful and versatile and, and really have a profound impact. We, uh, we do water filtration. We do point-of-use uh, filters for classrooms and for homes. And it's amazing to see how something as simple as these gravity-fed systems, you can put one into a classroom, it, it takes water and takes it from, you know, dirty and contaminated in moments, makes it safe to drink. Uh, in fact, if anybody, a bunch of you were out at uh, John and Katie Conrad's with us last, yes, yeah, last evening, and we were putting all kinds of dirt in the water. I showed them how it worked. We put a bunch of poop in the water and, and made a bunch of students drink it. It was great. Uh, but it, can, it really is powerful. And we do rainwater systems where we, we, we take advantage of, of buildings that are already part of the community, churches and clinics and schools, and we harvest rainwater off the roof, and we bring water right to where they are, and it turns the volume up on what's happening there. And uh, it takes, uh, you know, churches that are not just a, a spiritual resource, but says your, your identity in Christ is to become a resource provider in this community, and you're not limited by your material poverty. You can be a resource provider, and it begins to unlock people's identity in Christ as they also meet these practical needs, and they can fill water from right there. Uh, we also do a lot of work restoring broken hand pump wells. There's literally hundreds and hundreds of broken hand pump wells all over Uganda where over the last two decades well-intending people and organizations came and funded drilling uh, of, of new wells but unfortunately people didn't take the time to to train on maintenance and, and how to care for these things or even to stop and ask hey does anybody in this village own a wrench and so what 
originates as a uh, symbol of hope to a community, rescuing them from those, those teeming pools of bacteria, now becomes, after only a short time as it falls into disrepair, a symbol of despair. And so we go in and we don't just uh, repair it, we work alongside the community to understand how it works and how to care for it and repair the relational network that supports it and show them, hey, look, this thing sits 300 feet under the ground and this is how it works and this is how you take care of it and we build that capacity and we see it transforming lives because really we're not in the water business. We're in the freedom and transformation business. It's not enough to do water projects and post pictures for donors to see and, and continue to do more work because ultimately it's not just the work that we're after, we're after freedom and transformation. Our desire is not just to, to do something that helps us to sleep at night or to keep people from dying. Ultimately we're doing this because we want to make sure people can live. And I don't just mean be alive. I mean live. Our, our desire is to see a nation set free from the bondage of waterborne disease so that they can live the lives they were created for. And so in order to do that, we've got to prove that something changed. And that requires a bunch of work that isn't always the most fun. But yet take time to, to build data sets and indicators and a bunch of other nerdy stuff that there's probably eight people of you in this room that are really excited right now. Uh, uh, but to, to go out and use cloud-based data platforms to say, are there more kids at this school now that there's water? Are there more girls enrolled in school than before? Is this church actually growing as a result of, of not just being a, uh, an intangible resource provider, but a practical resource provider for this community? And we say, are lives being changed? Are people being set free? Are they remaining free? And we're audacious enough to say we want to do this together, together with you, together with regular people, because, you know, there's something powerful when we say, you know what, this is one of the most persistent problems that humanity has faced in, in the course of history, and yet you live in a generation where we can end it. Ten years ago when we took on this challenge, there was 1.2 billion people in the world with no access to safe water. Today there's 600 million. That's half in ten years. This is a fight that we can win. It's amazing to be alive right now and to recognize that we get to be part of crossing a finish line and saying, let's unleash the potential and destiny of these people. And in the process, unleash our own. But making a difference together and recognizing that, that we have a part to play. We're not the Savior. We've all got one. He's, a really, he's really good at what he does. We do work with him. But we're not the Savior, but we do contribute to these solutions. There is something in a global community where we have a part to play. And you have a part to play. And so we've built our organization on grassroots engagement where we say, you know what? We think that these incredibly persisting problems like the water crisis in Uganda can be brought near to you, and you have an invitation and an opportunity to actually choose to do something about it. And with technology and all the things that we have in this world today, you don't have to be that far from the actually impacting lives and saving lives and making a transformational difference, coming out of the values of our faith, being incarnated into our action, and, and really bringing freedom and transformation. And so we do things like work with schools and families and 
and businesses and college campuses. I was, I was telling Chaplain Lowe on the phone about, you know, one of the crazy things we do with some colleges is we work with, with a host club and, and we say, hey, you ever wonder just how fast you can run? You know, it kind of depends on what's chasing you, doesn't it? You know, and, and sometimes we wonder just, just what are we capable of? You know, at the stage of life that you're in as students, that's a common thing as you're discovering who you are and you're stretching yourself and you're, you're learning and you're in community together in an unusual and in incredible way in these few years. And sometimes we find ourselves in that conversation with ourselves saying, what have I got under the hood? You know, if, if I had enough open road and I could drop the hammer, how fast could we go? How hard could we push? What could we accomplish? And so one of the things that we love to do is work with campuses and, and say, hey, what if we all put 100% of our effort into one hour of, of focus on one thing and we, we fund water projects with college students in one hour? Like zero to $10,000 sometimes in an hour. And you tell that to people outside of a college environment and they're like, that is impossible, I don't believe it. Most financial decisions for a student involve a vending machine. <laughs> but we go, no, no, the, each one of you has a destiny. Each one of you has a purpose. Each one of you has tremendous capacity that God has, has instilled in you, that you were created with. You have dreams and passions, and you have power that is waiting to be unleashed. And to focus that, just like a magnifying glass focuses the power of the sun, we have the ability to, in community, come together with our shared values and a united purpose. Whether it's about the Ugandan Water Project or whether it's taking on you know, the pain in our, in our community, across the hall from us, across the street, or across the ocean. And so it kind of gets to the second thing I wanted to share because as much as I get a little bit excited about what we're doing in Uganda and inviting people to take part if that's something that resonates, the truth is I can easily say that most of you in this room are not supposed to wrap your life around Uganda or the Ugandan Water Project. So part of what we love to do is be your warm-up, to be your, your stretching opportunity, to be your reference materials. Because at best, you know, we hope to be the third most exciting thing someone does in a year. <laughs> because what you do next is what really you were created for. Or what this helps to cultivate in you and build the muscle in your spirit and in your intellect and in your physical body is what you're really made for. But we have to work out together. We have to be stretched together. We have to allow the Lord to challenge us and stretch us and go to the limits because at the edge of my strength, there's nothing but His. Faith works in our lives in every day, but you, if you get to the point of your life where my, my strength absolutely fails me, the next step is all Him. And together when we choose to do that, we encounter an opportunity to really take on the most incredible pain and challenges and suffering in this, in this world and see what we can do with it. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. It reminds us that it says, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We see this progression, this 
this construct of suffering leading to perseverance, which yields hope, which yields character and then hope. And it's not just suffering for the sake of suffering. It's not, hey, I happen to find my, myself in a bad day or a bad season or I'm grumpy or whatever or something significantly bad happened to me. It's not just taking that suffering and trying to satiate and comfort ourselves that, hey, maybe something good will come of it. We look at what, what's going on in Paul's life and it's suffering in the pursuit. Suffering in the pursuit of what God's doing. Suffering in pursuit of, of God's love for us today, his relationship with us today, and his His purpose in us and through us that the suffering we encounter the obstacles that we encounter the problems we encounter they develop perseverance they develop grit they develop that that thing in us that rises up when we get knocked down to, to wipe the blood off and say hit me again that perseverance and in the process of time of not getting embittered in that process but saying lord I'm here, I'm yours, I trust you, and I'm going to love anyways in the face of this. And that produces character, and that character brings forth the fruit of hope. Hope is not a happy feeling, hope is not a wish, it's not a dream. Hope has a specific purpose. Our hope is not just that people will be better in Uganda. Our hope is that we would see people set free from the bondage they're in for the destiny that awaits them. And so my challenge, my invitation to you today is to embrace the purpose that might have suffering along the way. You know, power is protected by problems. The things that we want to do often have challenges that, that we have to work through in order to access the power and the capacity on the other side to bring change. Don't shy away from it. Come together and embrace it and recognize that it's part of building that perseverance and that character in you so that something can start to form that has a specific hope. And hope is where, where we see the production of faith. And faith transforms this world. So that's my message. That's my challenge. That's my invitation to you. And I'd love to talk with more of you. There's probably three people in this room that are really stirred right now. And then a few people that are curious. And if any of you want to talk to me, I'll hang out back at my table. And we might have lunch with a couple of you as well. But, but let this bother you. Let this persist in your hearts and minds. And don't shy away from the opportunity around you to do something hard and see what it does in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for a chance to be here at Covenant College. It's not by mistake, it's by your design. And I just pray that your residual impact with what you're speaking to every student here would be the one thing that remains as you release them into their destiny in you to, to overcome the suffering in this world and unlock the potential inside us all as we, we learn to follow you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.